and welcome to another episode of the Wolves Den Podcast. We are here today with our usual host, Brian and Patty, but today we have a guest with us, and it's our, it's our guitarist, Mikey. You want to introduce yourself? Hi, how's it going? I'm Mikey. He just introduced me, but I'm doing it again anyway. So we, we're veering off of more of the process of just jumping straight into like band questions now, and we're going to open up with like just like a personal question. So the first question is like, you know, what were some video games you played like growing up, man? I played a lot of video games because I was not the popular person. It's weird because I was a extremely athletic person, but I never did any kind of athletic things. I just kind of stayed. I think of the whole game. band, the three of us are like the video game guys. I don't know because I feel like everybody but John does. John yeah. is the only person that I feel like doesn't do that. I mean, look, I mean, we're next to we're next to our vocalist games right now and his library is significantly past his mind. To illustrate yeah. yeah. To yeah. illustrate, it's I would how, say how many in, rows would you say that is? There's at least fifty Xbox three sixty games that he bought new. Dude, that's impressive. Four rows are his, one is mine. And the rest are PS like there's probably twenty five Oh, there's more than that. Twenty PS four games. Okay. I didn't know we go specific console wise. But games I played growing up, um, I was really into I was never good at FPSs. All of my friends were good at first person shooters and I just could not do it. To this day, I still can't play FPSs. I can't play Halo, I can't play Call of Duty, I can't play Battlefield. Anything involving an FPS I cannot do. But I was into like the nerdiest Japanese role-playing games ever. And I feel like that molded me into the secluded basement dweller that I am today. I feel like that's an important process to bring up. What's one of those that's one of your favorites? Hands down, Final Fantasy. Okay. Yeah. Hands down. Final Fa Anything Square Enix does, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, Chrono Trigger is like one of the best things of all time. If you haven't played that, then play it. And then uh, Kingdom Hearts, man. Hands down, my favorite video game series is Kingdom Hearts. What was the uh, first Final Fantasy game you played? I actually have to think about that. Mine uh, was Final Fantasy Seven. I oh man, I think mine is too. I remember um, I was at work with my parents one time because we couldn't do babysitters and stuff like that. So I just came into work with them, and there was this kid that this this guy probably I don't even know what happened to him. You're talking about basement dwellers. This man is a basement dweller. I don't even remember his name, but I hung out with him all the time at my parents' work, and he brought a strategy guide for Final Fantasy VII. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is the best game I've ever seen. What? What? What's this on? And I had just gotten a PlayStation because I was late to the game for sure. I was like older by the time I got a PlayStation. And then he brings this in and it's just like, I went from kid games to like broadening my horizon of that. There's an entire library of games that mm -hmm. aren't meant for kids. And of course, when you're a kid, you're told not to do something, you, you do, it. do it. You do it. So I... uh I, I was so nervous. I, I I just remembered this, too. I remember going to Game Trader, because I feel like it was kind of an old game when I played it, too. Because I'm on the I'm the youngest one in the band, by the way. So, not by much, but an, enough. And I ended up uh, having... I think I got my sister to take me to buy that game, because my parents were so <laughs> strict. And, and on the back, it says T for Teen... 13 and up, they're like, oh, we'll add like five years to that. So when he's 18, we'll let him play this teenager game. So I had to like convince my sister to go take me to get this game because it's got like drug use and alcohol use and language. Language blew my mind on that too because that was the first game that I was like, there are bad words. There's bad words in language. What is this? <laughs> I got another question for you. Do you guys remember getting video games? And on the drive home, you'd take the little booklet out. Yes, and read we were talking about this the, the other day. Yeah, I know. All the I actually know the specific game I did that for, and what I can't remember it? the name. What was it, it about? It was the Nintendo sixty four Star Wars game where you play as oh, one of Han Solo's a, squadron. Dude, Rogue that is Rogue squadron. squadron. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, you play as one of Han Solo's henchmen. That's Rogue Squadron. No, Rogue Squadron is the game where you play as a fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's Rogue Squadron. That one's fun. What do you mean? Okay, I'm not Galactic Empire, I think, was the name of the game. That's it. Yeah, that's so I like opened up the booklet and I was like They gave in boxes back then too, like a full on no, box. Nintendo yeah. sixty four games? Yes. Yeah. yeah. They came in boxes. You get a case now that looks cool, and you're like, wow, this is a nice case, but they have, they have like a full ensemble. You get that box as a kid, and you're like, this is going in the trash as soon as I, throw it, <laughs> as soon as I get some this those, game. Some of those are worth so much now, too. Don't you wish you had kept those? Yeah, the Banjo-Kazooie. Um, oh, man. 
Legend of Zelda. I still have uh, Majora's Mask. I have the box to that. Yeah, that's that's like if you threw those away. I mean, obviously, I can't blame you for being like. Because you're a kid, you just destroy everything. Yeah. Your parents' yeah. dreams, everything. But see, there are those people that were like in their 30s when those games were coming out that saw it, and now if they held on to it and they were smart about it, they held on to it and like, for instance, Majora's Mask in the box, like completely sealed, never opened. He just bought two copies on opening day. I should have done that. That's something I should have done for sure. And people are doing it with PS4 games. Like, we think now, oh, PS4 games. A sealed copy of, like, Skyrim on the PS3 that in, like, 25 years. Yeah, that'll be worth, like, probably enough to, at least a grand, I'd say. Because collectors, collectors collect crazy stuff. And if so. you get the, what is it called, Legendary Edition? Yeah. yeah. I didn't get that because I was a broke boy. I'm still a broke boy. This was not that long ago. <laughs> but you have the DLC, so, I mean, you get I the I do have the yeah. DLC. So, uh, speaking of strict parents, what's it like growing up as strict parents and listening to alternative music? Man, I can go on for years about this because I feel like to this day, it's still going. To this day. Because I know that both of you, we yeah, we've talked about this before. Like you, you guys did not have the upbringing that I did. My parents are so cool with whatever I want. I had do. Thanksgiving yeah. dinner with Patty's family today, and they were the biggest like I don't care about anything family ever, and it was great. It's great because it like definitely developed you into the person that you are. But I don't know what happened to me. I, something happened. I'm the black sheep of the family <laughs> for sure. But my parents are incredibly strict. I remember that fart was a bad word. Until I was in my, I honestly wouldn't say it now in front of my parents. I still would not say that in front of my parents, but somehow I would say it through my sister because my sister was always into crazy stuff. She was into Marilyn Manson. Same for me. My sister listened to yeah. stuff, and that's what got me into Alice metal. Alice in Chains, like any of the Grunge Same track. for me, dude. My sister bought me my very first ticket to no go see way. Metallica. That's no sick. Way. So, like, my, my sister was into, like, Marilyn Manson, System of a Down, Rage Against the Machine, uh, Alice in Chains. I mean, wow. Marilyn Manson was a huge thing. A big one for me was Flyleaf and Paramore. That my was sister way... Used to listen to those okay, bands. I didn't even... I didn't... You were not with me on yeah, this no, right now. We're, <laughs> like, talking, like... I'm talking, like, I'm pretty sure the first song that I ever heard in my entire life in its completion when I was, like, one or two years old was Clown by Korn. Like, yeah. that's how early we were started on this by our sisters. Yeah. And it's yeah. weird because Patterson and I's sisters were friends during this time. And they're Morgan, both Morgan, at, at, can I say your sister's name? I don't care. Yeah, Kia, go ahead. Okay, so Mikey's sister's name is Kia. Um, when we were like five, Morgan would drive. Kia used to work in a morgue. And on Halloween night, they would go to the morgue and sit in the basement with all the dead bodies and watch like Halloween. And this was like when they were adults. When they were kids, they would hang out. Like that's Patterson, creepy. Patterson yeah. and I have literally known each other for our entire lives, by the way. And that's why so I knew like, this podcast was going to be way oh, yeah, This is going to be uh, uh, strap in for sure. How, how old were you guys when you got into like corn and all that? I was two years old. I might have been earlier than that. I'm not even kidding right now. So this is a funny story. My sister, um, in her room, she had posters of Ozzy Osbourne and Kurt Cobain and Marilyn Manson. My parents were super against all that. Classic grunge. But she taught me all of the words to a couple Marilyn Manson songs. And like, there's a video somewhere hidden in the deep, dark basement of my uh, family's ashamed of me. There's a video of me singing like... A Marilyn Manson song when I'm I am young like 1994 or 1995 I was like one or two years old yeah. now and that for, exists when I was first year of preschool I was five years old was my sister's senior year of high school oh. so so she was and we went to the same school yeah so I went through a K through 12 and um she would um like take me from home to school and I remember my first experience was just listening to her music and her, I think she drove a, like a, a Mitsubishi. That's I, the exact same story as me. Like, yeah, in school, and like driving home, my sister would drive me. She's just like two years ahead of me. And I would always ask my sister, I would always be like, hey, who is this? And she would tell me. And I remember the coolest thing that I ever discovered. And I was like, oh my God, I'm discovering like something for the first time. That my sister likes and that like no one else really is into. Mm -hmm. Days of the new. Oh, when um so Patty and I separated, we separated, you know how it is. 
when we were like teenagers <clears throat> divorce yeah it was a divorce it was a messy divorce but we just kind of drifted apart when we were younger and we got back together when we started getting into music but patty showed me days of the new and we used to listen to them in our first band ever which was we were like 15 16 if, but, if you don't know who days of the new is like i get most of the people we're talking to right now are in a specific scene that grew up days of the new i understand like, it's like if creed had succeeded in doing what they were trying to do, but acoustically, then that would be Days of the New. It's perfect music to go to sleep to. Like, whenever I think of Days of the New, I think of the Green Album that was recorded all by himself because he fired his yeah, band. Yeah, you told me about that. Dude, like, it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite albums. Just because you can tell it's just one guy and his, like, thoughts and his memories. Yeah. Like, of, like, because... Travis Meek has, like, autism, so, like, you know, he is just ungodly gifted at this, but he's so awkward, and, like, his memories are, like, super attached to, like, small items. Too much like yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Patty's player two has left the match. (laughs) So, uh, back to what we were talking about. We're way off topic already. See, this is the problem with Patty and I. If you get us in the room together, especially if this is involved, and this is going to go so many different ways, but I remember the exact moment that my parents, I was pretty good about hiding it that I was into it because my dad's super into like classic rock, like Steppenwolf and Jethro Tull, ACDC, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Quick question. Yeah. Did you ever have a moment where your parents found out that you were I am about to get into that because it is the most awkward story you've ever heard in your entire life. So, um, oh my God, this is, this is so cringy. Um, there's, this is a two-parter. So, uh, when I was super young, I think Toxicity by System of a Down oh, had just yeah. come out. Mm-hmm. One of the best albums of all time, by the way. Such a good album. Amazing politically, because it was very politically charged mm-hmm. in that time period when like we were going to war and everything and stuff like that. So that was, that was my first time that I recognized that bands were bringing attention to issues that they disagreed with, which I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. So my parents, I'm, I, I don't even know how old I was. I was like 10, 11. I don't know. That CD came out in 2001, I think. So my parents let me get that album. And it was under my, um, my, I thought the album was clean because we got it from Target and I got an album from yeah. Target before. The first Extreme Metal CD I so ever they, got. So they bought that for you, not knowing what yes. was on it. And funny enough, because this guy, you know, tried to murder his wife and everything, but As I Lay Dying was my first actual metal CD that I ever mm. got. And it's just super screamo. I can't remember the name of the album, but it's like, uh, there's like a crescent moon on it. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with As I Lay Dying. Yeah, it, definitely extreme metal. That's like, yeah. that's, I mean, they got the screaming and everything. People would be like, ooh, As I Lay Dying is not extreme metal. That's too soft now. It's just <laughs> crazy now. But back then, that was like, that was a step in the it's intense. In moderate direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, uh, I feel like both of these stories take place at Target, but I had gotten a CD and I think it was that one. And I thought that album was explicit and it wasn't. It was just super Christian metalcore, you know, like I said, there was nothing really wrong with it, but System of a Down is not that. So it was under my understanding that it was a clean album. It's not. So my parents want to listen to it while I'm in the car. Of this album home. that I honestly have not heard. I've heard Chop Suey. I've heard uh, Ariel's was off that album. Probably from like music videos. Yes, stuff. from music videos that are edited. So Fuse this entire TV. time, so this entire time, uh, this was before Fuse. Oh, this entire time, I was under the understanding that if I got this from Target, it's going to be a clean CD. It wasn't. So song number two comes on. It might have even been song number one, prison song. It's just like I buy my crack, I smack my. You know, <laughs> and then they both stop. They pause the CD. I'm in the back seat. They pause the CD and look at me like, "How dare you do this to us? How dare you bring this into our household? You've dishonored the family. Yes, you dishonor <laughs> your family." And uh, it's amazing because not more than two or three weeks after that, I was really into him. Oh yeah. Do you remember him? Because oh yeah. I will. I don't know why I'm saying this now. I was huge now. into skateboarding and fan march era. Oh, yeah. Oh, this, I forgot. Oh, yeah. That. They have like a joint sing- the heartogram and everything. So that yeah. was like, that ruled our childhood, by what, the way. What about that? Everybody's. What about that CKY? CKY is oh good. Oh, my God. Don't, CKY. I don't want to get him started on CKY because he's never going to stop. He loves CKY. But awesome. before, I want to finish his story so we can move yeah, on yeah. for sure. And I had, uh, this is, my dad's kind of an awkward guy. He's a great guy. He's amazing at like everything he attempts to do. But when it comes to he and I, we 
we're on the same page all the time. We get along very nicely, but I am just so different, different than him. Mm-hmm. So the hardogram is, you know, right there on the front cover. And it was Dark Light. That came out in 2006, I feel like. And that's when I really got into him because I, I was super into the whole like, oh, this is satanic. This is so dark and mysterious. Yeah. And I'm dark and fat and mysterious. So I was in love <laughs> with him. So the hardogram's plastered in the front, and I get this CD because I used to buy CDs all the time. And I'm just like, yeah, this is my next CD I'm going to buy. My dad's like, you need to put that back. And I'm like, why? Because he's like, because it's satanic. And there's <laughs> like a 35-second awkward pause after that where I'm just like, I have nothing to tell you to prove that it's not. Because <laughs> it kind of is. So I'm yeah. just you guys like, remember that's the, fair. Do you guys remember the, uh, it was called the Lovogram? It was like, it was a, a, a phallus object. Worked into the hemogram, which is what hardogram. Man, get get good, man, because we're you're the minority here. The hardogram. Well, I never listened to him, but oh, that that sure. explains the confusion. Yes. No, like um, what are you what are you doing? You are just like an animal right now. Keep going. Mikey's scavenging the room for <laughs> empty beers to get the last drop. <laughs> Aren't you doing a job right now? Go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> my favorite Jackass show skit is when Bam... No, it was uh, Steve-O got a... I don't remember what they called it, and I know somebody's listening right now, and it's just like, oh my God, it was this. But it was like the the hardogram, but it had a, it had a phallus at the end of it. You're so proper with the use of that word. Yeah. Phallus. It was phallic-like in appearance. Yeah, well... College education. <laughs> that degree is going for something. Yeah, liberal arts, aka Starbucks. Actually, no, I'm getting a degree in science. Oh, 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 okay. All right. Woo! So pretty much, I give Patty a hard time. No matter what he says to me, I'm always going to turn it against him. So that just happened. That reaction was Mikey like looking under the chair for like, who I was talking to. <laughs> all right uh story done though that was that was a yeah so mikey uh what got you into music so it was a couple of things i have several friends that i'm i I have long-term friendships Mm -hmm. like the people that i hang out with now with a couple exceptions we don't have like any new friends yeah that's just you man because you're creepy no one likes to hang out with you but I've, I have a, I have a lot of like friends that I've met recently. They're like my brothers now. But back in the day, I had friends that I still hang out with this, to this day. And they'll all tell you something different about what got me into music because it was just a spiral about what happens. I know the truth, though. It was a couple of things. And I'm going to say all of them. So, you know, I, I know all of them. But go ahead. I, I plan on it. May I? He, he turned his mic away. We got a little salt going on in the room right now. There's always salty here, man. It's oh. always salty. Okay, so, so give us one thing. So one thing, and a lot of people, I would say, like my longest friend besides Patty would tell you this, Guitar Hero is a huge really? part of what I got into music. It's because I was like, I got so good at that game. You, you, you thought remember? you were on top of the world. Dude, I it got to the point where I could literally play it on the expert difficulty and not look at it anymore i could turn away you know a great party trick great way to meet girls you know just i could play guitar hero it's not by the way don't try that <laughs> don't, try this at home, don't try this at home this did not work let me be the scientist that tells you if it works or not it's, it doesn't so that got me into it the second thing that got me into it which is probably what patty thinks got me into it is avenged sevenfold and that was like i remember uh what album was it Oh, oh um, Waking the Fallen, for sure. Okay. The one with Unholy Confessions on it. Everybody knows mm-hmm. that one. Absolutely. So that was the first time. That was one of the first guitar riffs I learned, by the way. Everybody did. Uh-huh. Everybody our age that got into music knew Unholy Confessions. Yeah. And the way that that works is, I feel like it's the first time in a long time, I would arguably say since Metallica, that the guitarist was at the forefront of the writing and the mixing mm-hmm. and everything, right up with vocals. They all had the names and everything, Everybody had their own name, like a persona that they went along with. Yeah. And they had the harmonies, and they were just ridiculously over the top, and it was just awesome. And I, I think remember, that's one of the big reasons I like metal in the first place is because instruments are such – they're on like an equal level 
with the vocals. I could agree with that because and somebody I, and you go to pop. I really and stuff. just love listening to the instruments and the vocals together. Don't get me wrong, I love pop. I love yeah. hip hop. I, I they can tell you right now. I exclusively listen to hip hop because I don't like to listen to what's around with metal right now because I feel like I'm gonna accidentally copy something that's going on during that right now because I'm. I'm not bad about it because I'm really good about catching myself with uh-huh. it, but I don't want that to flood my influence because I'm trying to, you know, progress a little bit. And so Avenged Sevenfold got you into Yes, music. and I remember City of Evil had just come out when I really got into guitar. Now, are all these a combination together as well? I'd say it's a in? combination, yeah. Okay. This all happened pretty rapidly all at the same time. You know what's so crazy? I was playing Guitar Hero, I was into Avenged Sevenfold, and then they played it on Guitar Hero 2, you could play Beast in the Heart. Oh, yeah. Yes! City of Evil was on that, and it was like the crappiest cover because they couldn't do the actual song. Oh yeah, at the, time. the covers. There was licensing issues. You know, I didn't notice growing up yeah. that those were covers. Now looking. Back oh, at I it, did. It is awful. No, See, yeah, um, it's they, obvious now that we're like. In, yeah. The, but no, man, because you and I were so into it that the when second I that they guitar were like, hero, I wasn't a musician at no, all, so I had no idea. I yeah. will tell you the definitive moment I got into like heavier music, and this is going to sound crazy. But so if you ever play, uh, I think it's Need for Speed Revenge. Rivals, maybe? No, Revenge. Okay, this must be an old one. No, it's not Need for Speed. It was called something else, Revenge. It was a racing game. Not a very good it one. It doesn't matter. The mu- No, 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 no. Okay, no, no, no. I remember exactly. It was Need for Speed Most Wanted, the very yeah. first one that came out. Mm-hmm. Had yeah. a- Blinded in Chains. Oh, dude. That and I was stay. If you if Patty starts playing the introduction riff to Blind in the Chains by Ben Sevenfold, we stop and play like the full eight minutes of that. Like he's playing it on the table right now. Like it's we I don't know why, but we really connected on that song. But I remember uh Beast in the Harlot was on Guitar Hero 2, and I was like, Wow, I'm not a vocalist, but I do like playing guitar because I'm associating with, with Guitar Hero. And mm-hmm. I can actually play that now, quote now, unquote. Was a guitar your first instrument? Yes, it's my only interest. Okay. Yeah, that's all I got. Because I, I, I started I actually, off playing yeah, well, trumpet in uh, third grade. This is a funny story. Uh, I actually taught Mikey like his first because I was I took Patty guitar. could play guitar at the time and he was decent at it. I mean, he's garbage looking back on it. Like, he's just <laughs> awful. But I I remember but he Patty was a god back in the day too. Yes, because he played Bat Country, which is not the same. Once again, oh, we're yeah. back on Event Sevenfold. I was obsessed back in the day. I still the reoccurring am. Theme. Yes, it was definitely Event Sevenfold. He could play Bat Country, and you I was got, like, I have to play this. He has to. Teach uh-huh. me you got your RG seven, and this is literally so. What- yeah, check this out. So. Everybody started on a six string. I literally started on a seven string. And Mikey's, guitar. Mikey's, Mikey, when he got his seven string, the way he would brag and he's, is he literally sounded just like this. Hang on. I already hate you for this. Yeah. So, um, oh, I have a God. seven string. Corn tunes down to B. Uh, actually, corn pronounced to A. So, get good, mate. He was like, yeah, I can play like I'm coming undone right now. I love that song though. That's a good song. But yes, yeah, so I got a seven string. Um. I, and it it was a combination of corn and Steve Vai. Steve Vai made the seven string. He made it. That's his creation. Oh, you had a signature Ibanez? No, boy. What? I couldn't afford that. I just got an RG. It's just that Steve oh, Vai oh, okay, literally gotcha. made, like, he had the idea of, hey, I want to add an extra string that would be intervolically linked yeah. with all the other ones. So, yeah. He's one, one of the of first people to do that. He is the first, first one. He, okay. He was like, I want to do this. <laughs> Make me a guitar that does that. I thought they used uh, like seven strings and eight strings for jazz and stuff like no, that. No, no. They always had an accompanying bass. Gotcha. Yeah, they might, not even 12 strings. 12 strings are not the same. That's octave stuff. But yeah, so it was that. And then the last one that really, because I didn't start off playing casually. When I started playing, I'm talking like eight, eight hours a day with a metronome. I would do it before school. I would get home after school and do it. I would practice with a metronome. It was a, a guitarist named Buckethead. And once I heard Buckethead and a combination with the Guitar Hero and me liking Event Sevenfold, I was there every single day, eight hours a day, running my scales with the yeah. all day, just building up speed and everything. And so you found out about Buckethead on Guitar Hero? Yes, actually. Yeah. I, I forgot that that's, once again, it's back to Guitar Hero. Yeah. So yeah, it was Jordan, which I've, is just impossible oh, yeah. to play. Awesome. It's ridiculous. Was Buckethead in GNR, Guns N' Roses? Yeah, he was actually. That's he, how I found out he about took, it. Uh, he took Slash's spot when Slash from 2000 first, to 2002. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they got uh, Bumblefoot, right? I think they actually still play with him. Yeah. 
Actually, I feel like Guns N' Roses is like fully back together now. No. With Slash and everything. Yes, I know Slash is involved. No, my buddy actually went to see him a couple weeks okay, ago. Okay, well, that's awesome because that Guns, awesome. Yeah, Guns N' Roses is like still, pardon the expression, but like badass. Oh, yeah, man. That's like ultimate dad rock, but in the best way because my dad loves Guns N' Roses too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my dad's into like Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam. You know, God I haven't smack. shown I haven't shown my dad Alice in Chains, but I feel like if I did, he would love it because he's very he's weirdly open minded about this stuff. Like you he's don't down to try it. Though. Yeah, it's more so my mother that's always like, "This is not cool," but my now, dad's just like, "Hey, this is kind of cool. I'm I'm down with this." So I I worked for my dad, and I, I came in. I was still in high school. I was working for my dad. And I came in one day to work, and he has my dad can't work without music, and he had he had Rooster playing. Oh no way! That's so. But that's dude. My dad loves Alice in Chains. It's crazy. Patterson's dad's a very interesting guy. Alice in Chains. My parents were very supportive, by the way. Don't don't get me just ragging on them. No, but but like when Alice in Chains came out, like their first time they got big, my dad was thirty six, nineteen ninety six. And your dad's old. He's going to die soon. <laughs> I got a question for you, Patty. My dad's literally going to live forever. I got a question for you, Patty. What uh, what got you into music? What was your first instrument? <sighs> it's okay. So in like 2005, my parents were fortunate enough to have a Sam Ash close by. You know, I, it's the I, same I, one we all went to growing up. I'm I get, sure. well, but there's, there's only one Sam Ash in Tennessee. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I will say this. The Guitar Center versus Sam Ash debate. Sam Ash wins, okay? If you go into a Sam Ash that's local and it's actually, like, updated and has good management, it is a mecca of just music gear. Just for the record, we're not sponsored, and I don't condone Sam Ash or Guitar Center. Go to your local guitar shop. Support them. But we're also fortunate to live in Nashville where there's a music store on every corner. That's true because if you go out of town, if you go, your best option is probably a pawn shop. Otherwise, because there's not many dedicated music stores outside of you well, know, Music City. Drummers, drummers, we're lucky. We have Forks that has a master drumsmith. That's in-house. the one my brother used to go to. Growing yeah, up. but he anyway, that place. back on the topic, my parents got me lessons at Sam Ash. Um, Mark Cavaness, that's his name. Uh, he's still there. I'm pretty sure. One of the most. Was this on drums? No, oh, guitar. It was, it was guitar. Yeah, it was a guitar. Because okay. okay. remember, he started before me, yeah. and he was like, oh, he can do this. I think my very too. first lesson was the very beginning of 2005. I got lessons for Christmas. Yeah. That's my, awesome. parent, my parents bought me 12 weeks of lessons. I think it was $200. And I remember... That's actually a good deal. Well, yeah. Um, and the day we went in for my first lesson, lesson I had a first act guitar, and I remember... While I was getting my lesson, my parents bought me a white Stratocaster, like Jimi Hendrix style, like oh, yeah. all cream white. And was it like a real Stratocaster? Or was it like a knockoff? No, it was uh, the Made in Mexico version. That's still crazy. That's awesome. Like my I just I sold it. I sold it five years ago for. Oh, I you guys that. don't yeah. even want to know my first instrument. My my first real guitar was a, like a first well, act. It was like had, had the amp yeah. and everything. You mentioned trumpet so, earlier. I no, started no. out on trumpet in school. That was your. Very first. I played trumpet from 2006 to 2009. It took an act of Congress to convince my band director that I wanted to switch to do to, percussion. Yeah, to do percussion. Yeah, and that's where all the cool kids are. Well, or that's at least that's what they think. I'll the tell time. you right now. One of the like the selling point of it was I was in the cafeteria one twiddling day, twiddling your thumbs in the back while everybody else is playing. No, music. I was in I was in the cafeteria one day with one of my buddies, <laughs> and he was like, "Dude, you're just you're cool, man. Like you should be a drummer." And I was Man, like, that, those those words don't belong together at <laughs> all. The drummer is the outcast. Quote me on this. The drummer is the outcast of the band. Just a heads up. A little bit. Who stays here every weekend? I'm not sure who he's talking to. Both of no, you. it's not me. Both of you live we're, on my We're couch. literally here right now together. We're both here this weekend. <laughs> Where was this going? Anyway, trumpet led to percussion, and eventually, uh, I, I'll go ahead and plug him because he's, one of my dearest best friends in the fact that he's put me in so many places that I thought I'd never be. Mm-hmm. Just not physically, but mentally. He just ex- he cracked open my brain when I was 16, which is a formative year. Um, I was lucky. I went to high school very close to his house, and he has a degree in 
music education. And he came to our school one day and was, um, like, you know, flaunting Giving his... a little workshop he, or he something. Was, no, he was just flaunting his education muscle. He was like, oh. he was like, hey, I have a degree in education. If any of you want to come to my house. And it sounded weird at first. Yeah. Because I was one of his first students. Did he pick you up in a van with candy? No. He did actually. I was there. He picked me up. He so. actually drove. He actually drove a Toyota Corolla. Anyway, um, that was so specific. that was so specific. Yeah. Well, what, what year? Two thousand six, I believe. Patty's a car guy, so like he actually remembers <laughs> stuff like this. Yeah. I can tell you what Anyways, car it is by the wanna, headlights. Do you want to mention his name? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go ahead and okay. do it, Jim do Riley. That. Jim Riley. So if okay. I, from all the what you always neglect to mention the all, giant band he's in all the, because I don't like to brag. Rascal Flats. It's awesome. So all the Nashville guys that are into like the session scene know who he is because he that's how he makes his most of his money. He's, he yeah. comes in on you know. Anyway, um. I got lessons with him and like And this is on drums, right? Yeah. Okay. And I started drums kinda late. I didn't start really like getting into it until I was like fourteen. Yeah. Was the first time I sat behind a drum kit and was told how to play. What age did you get into guitar? Way like like I said, guitar was my first instrument and I started way later than everybody else did. Yeah. I was when I started really practicing guitar, I was probably fourteen. I was 14 years old. I might have been on the cusp of 15, but I was late bloomer in the music. Yeah, you guys think you're late. I was, I was 18 when I joined my well, first. But I feel never like... knew that. Are you serious? Yeah, that's that when is, I first started whoa. to actually care about it. See, I, feel, I thought, see, all my friends are like, they're like musicians out of town and everything. I'm yeah. like, they're, I've been playing guitar since I was like eight years old, yeah. but 18 is crazy. See, that's the story of my stepbrother. He's been playing drums since oh, he was Taylor's three years ridiculous. old. Oh, Taylor's ridiculous. Yeah. He's well, he's been and, playing since he was three, so it's and that's like second hand. And well, that's Taylor. I like when whenever I Taylor used to, your stepbrother used to work at Sam Ash, and I remember oh, yeah. he just knew so much about everything when oh, it came to drums. Yeah. He's passionate about it. He's still doing it to this day. I, yeah, I, mean, I know his his one of his favorite brands growing up was Rush. Taylor, if you're oh, listening, Rush we love you. I <laughs> I love you as well. Okay, so uh, moving on from uh, what got us into music, what's uh, what's uh, what's your biggest fear going on to stage? Oh man, that's easy because it happened literally the last time that we played a show. So a lot of bands. I, I have a feeling I know. I, I mean, you were literally there. next to me. <laughs> mine happened. My, mine happened not too far short of so, it. So okay, so check this out. So a lot of bands use actual amps, the whole like, tube amp thing. If there's any guitarists out there, they know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a huge digital versus like tube amp. I guess that would be analog. Would that be analog? Yeah, yeah. I, see, yeah. I. By the way. You don't. You don't care about the. <laughs> By the way, this is interesting to mention because I hate everything about guitar playing that's not literally about guitar playing. I can barely change my guitar strings, but I know the neck forwards and backwards for sure. I can't change my guitar strings. I'm terrible at making guitar amp tones. Who changes your guitar strings for you? Patty's mother. And uh, <laughs> not true. I just thought I'd plug that in there. And I'm just terrible at all that stuff. But I have an entirely digital rig. Everything's digital. I use an Axe FX and I use a digital MIDI pedal and everything. I'm not going to go into specifics on this. Long story short, I get on stage, I change one of my channels, and it skips somewhere like in the middle of my patches that I had programmed. And it was, oh man, it it could not have picked a worse patch too. It was like an octaver with a harmony on it. And I could barely hear it. <laughs> it was barely in the background. It was like a little bit of twangy Telecaster, like. And this was in, this was in the middle of a we're show. Pl we're playing. We're, sound we're literally is... on stage in our first song, and I I change patches a lot. Uh, I play lead. I have a lot of reverb patches, lead patches, clean patches, my rhythm patch, and I have even more now. Meanwhile, we have a power amp that we're both sharing. Oh, I forgot that the so whole time. Brian is, is having happening. this happen to him as well. And playing wise, we're killing it. Like we and practice a lot, but all of our gear was just collectively like it on top of <laughs> yeah. On top of all of that, my backtracks were going in and out. Oh yeah. yeah, we had a DI box, and if you're if you're a musician out there, you're going to deal with bad shows. You need to approach it 
correctively. Don't just sit there and be like, oh, this sucks. Uh, maybe it won't happen next spend, time. Be like, why did this happen? Let's spend, fix it. Spend the $30 it costs to buy your own DI box. Yes. Hang on to it. I yes, think please. what this show boiled down to was a faulty uh, uh, outlet on stage. Yeah. But I had some other stuff that happened, but like I said, I'm not going into details. It involves people. Yeah. And like, it's, it's just. I, I think that's one of my biggest fears is getting ready for the show. You're preparing for the show and then something goes wrong. And the worst part about it is that I don't talk about this too much, but if you're a local band, you want to play all the time. You want to be playing every weekend, every, every day off that you're there, you live on the stage. You want to do that. But if you're doing that, then when big shows come through, they're not going to want you for that because if you're playing a week before this big band's coming to your local venue, they're not going to want you because you can't sell pre-sales. So that's yep. important too. So and we have so been we have so not, guilty of that. The oh past yeah, two years. Oh boy, Even what are you talking about? You guys are in the band. We've we've taken. We've probably played three or four shows in Nashville in a week. I remember we played month. we played three shows in a week one time, in one in like a week and a half, and it was just ridiculous. Yeah, and, that was uh, this past spring. We played at Springwater. Then that a, week before we played at, was it Rocket Town? Something I, Rocket Town, and then like the week before we played at the end. There was yeah. a Murfreesboro show involved there, I think. Those were yeah. the summer. Those were so, way later. So, like I was saying, like you have to to keep space, your keep your schedule your shows open. Out yeah, keep your schedule open. Them. Because if you if you have a show a week before a big show and a venue's giving you the option to do that, you can't equally promote both and even if you're a band that's only going to focus on the bigger shows promotion they don't care about that they don't know that you could ruin their show for them so they're not going to book you for that so the prerequisite to that that i was getting to is that we have not played a show in like a month and a half and i'm like itching to be on stage and i'm like i gotta get on stage i'm gonna kill this show and then all of my gear is just like no you ain't (laughs) that's i think that's a good way to stay motivated as well is not play too many shows, dude. So one of my favorite guitarists, out. one of my favorite guitarists that I'm super into right now, but I have been for a long time. Guthrie Govan always said, "Treat your instrument as if it's an old friend when you're coming on stage. Don't be so accustomed to it that you're just getting on stage and you're just doing your job. Treat it like an old friend that you're happy to see." Yeah. So that's how I felt when I went on stage. And so uh-huh. I was like, "I can't wait to be in my element. I'm on stage in front of people, and everything dies, like my dreams." <laughs> um, my my worst fear happened to me. At and I live in Murfreesboro, mm-hmm. and this venue was less than a quarter of a mile from my apartment. You could see my apartment from the venue, and so I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be fun." Was this uh, block? Yeah, the block. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember this. We were playing with Death Card, uh, Rival Choir, Death Card, Ghost and, Key. A cu- and a couple really nice local bands, Ghost Key and Death Card. Yeah, Death Card's a local band, by the way. Check them out; they're super awesome. Their merch is awesome. Yeah, dude, they're a good band. Anyway, um, so our backtracks run it, for all you audio guys out there. They run in stereo, but technically they run in mono. Now I'm gonna explain right now. I run the right patch. <laughs> from the stereo signal out as a mono signal to the front of house and I get the left signal as a mono signal to the back of house so I get the click tracks all on the right side but it comes through both of my headphones anyway if I haven't lost you yet that's important because if you're using backing tracks as a band a lot of people get confused about how to get started with it but this is how this is literally like you could spend $30 and you've got a great setup anyway I we were thrown onto the stage without a sound check or anything, and well, I. That's most of our shows. Though. That's pretty standard for local. Yeah, bands. that's very yeah. standard. In a haste, I plugged in the right side to the left side on accident in my little stage mixer, and we hit play. Hey, hey guys, what's up? We're telling the welcome home. Beep, 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 oh beep, my! Beep, I totally remember <laughs> this now. Oh no! Cole, hey guys. no! Cole turned around and looked. Cole turned around and looked at me. What the fuck, dude? Yeah, no, Cole. <laughs> Cole oh, turned. Cole turned I heard around, it too, and I'm trying to like. When you're a metal band, you go on stage. You're not just like. You're all you're like, to hit you're that tough. First note. You're a tough guy. You're walking around. You're waving your fist in the air, and it just beep boop boop boop. Cole, Cole literally yeah. the first oh, click. Yeah. The first click. Cole turned around and looked at me with the face of just like you're an idiot. <laughs> and you were. 
and it took me about three oh, minutes. Oh man, I totally blocked this whole gig out of my head. Yeah, we no, because it's because like we we started the show and then we had to stop and start the everybody show again. that was there to see us left. Yeah, because like we were like, okay, we're having technical difficulties, so we're we're gonna try to fix this as fast as we can. And people were like, oh, they're trying to fix this cigarette break. So everybody leaves, and like by the time we fixed it. We were like two songs deep in our set before people started gradually, and I used the Shout word gradually. Shout out to my loosely. boys in Death Card for staying in Death there. Card is the real deal local band, for sure. Once yeah. again, check them out. I feel like it's very important for to stay for every single band that's there, and it's rude not to. Oh, that's one thing. that I understand uh, touring bands and stuff like that. They don't want to stay. They want to go hang out and chill See, for a I, little bit. I, I would say I if understand you're a that. bigger touring band, like we played with Parkway Drive, I, I, don't, I, I get them doing that. I even say that for... Just any touring band because you don't know what they've been doing all day. Well, here's you the problem, and I have a direct, I have a direct example of this. We played a show, another show in Murfreesboro, mm-hmm. and all every single band that was there, we stayed for every single one of them. Now, and then the second that it was time for us to go on stage, every single one of them left. Parkway Drive, I will say this: it was, don't get me wrong, great to play with them. I did I was not ecstatic. We didn't I thought get they to were see amazing them until they were on stage. I did so. not honor the fact that they there was three green rooms at Rocket Town. Dude, Parkway is like legends, though. They like, got they're... all three green rooms, so all the local bands were stuck to the parking lot. Oh, that's how up. it's all. I don't feel like a local band should we get don't a even green care. room. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Even a local we didn't, band. We didn't care. We always hang out in the van. We didn't us. care, but listen, if we were at their stage, I feel like we would. Now we would be doing the exact same thing they would. Yeah, I would totally. I feel like a local band, one hundred percent, does not deserve a green room because you're you're it's a local your hometown. Band. You're there. You probably drove twenty minutes to get there. Yeah. They're from, like, for example, from Parkway, and I fully support them doing this. They're tired. They're, they flew from now. Australia. It was yeah. The Nashville show was their first show after taking like a three month hiatus. Yeah. yeah, I feel like green rooms are for a band to relax and open up. And if you're a local band, don't be an idiot and walk in the green room like you deserve to be there because I promise you they will put you on blast on Facebook later. They will do that because we are a salty bunch. And back to the beginning of this question right here, a huge tip for you guys in local bands. Please stay for the rest of the bands. Yes, definitely. And talk to any band you find interesting afterward and make a connection because you never know what they might have for you in the future. And you never know what you might have for them in the future. Networking you know? at shows is the most important thing. And actually, we we're just talking about this with. And the, it all starts 60. in your local scene for sure. Yes, definitely. Because if you're not, if you don't have strong roots, how can you be expected to grow? That kind of thing, you know? Exactly. And to be honest, I think we've been us in Tell the Wolves at Home. We've been lacking. That I couldn't agree more. For them. And yeah, yeah. we're definitely because we're really busy in writing right now. We're trying to get on another EP, but that's I, no excuse. I think what happens is you're so focused on your music, yeah, that you're not even thinking about about networking. the hundred other bands that are doing the exact same thing that you're doing that need the yeah. support just as much, if not more, than you do. Mm-hmm. That was something we just recently hired a new manager. Yes, I don't know. More like a coach than a manager. Yeah. You know? he's well, not and he's not much of a manager. He's more of a, like a, a so, coach. I would consider him like a, a business manager. He in layman's, to do in layman's terms, he's a manager that's teaching us how to manage <laughs> ourselves. And in six months, he won't work for us anymore. So one of, yeah. one of his first things was, we need to just not only go to shows. We need to go to shows where we don't know a single band there. And network. Networking is the most important thing. Yeah, exactly. Go. You guys talk about that. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we basically just did. Yeah. yeah. We, so. we pretty much covered the basis on that. What was the original question of this? Horrible things uh, on stage? Yeah. Because I have another one I can throw in right now and be that? one sentence and over. I don't have strap locks. I literally have strap locks. Your guitar has fallen off of you twice. Well, hey man, don't have strap locks. It is going to happen to you. But before I had strap locks, Mikey, listen to this right now. It falls off in the (laughs) middle. They're both trying to get me to put my strap locks on during the show. He has a pair of Dunlop strap locks sitting in his mom's living room. It's true. Just slap them on. Not even opened. And I'm like, dude, I will install these for you. You don't want to be that guy on stage that. Has to awkwardly hold your guitar and I've on done your that. knee while you're playing. By the playing. way, let me toss this the into the garbage can. Thing now listen, ever. let me just go ahead and toss this into the garbage can that was our last gig. First song, <laughs> before I switched the patches, you know what happened? My what? straps failed. <laughs> 
So I'm playing on stage with the first song with no strap because I'm holding it with my wrist and my patches are just like, wink, 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 wink. And then the sound's going in and and out. I was panicking. I was panicking. I promise you, if you had a really bad gig, it probably was not as bad as our last as our last gig was. Mikey oh was like, God. I hope everybody doesn't notice what's happening right now. I, I hope everybody I, doesn't notice I'm the fact that, that I'm like running around with my head off I'm my not, shoulders. Yeah, I'm not that person. I was just kind of like, wow, I know exactly why this is happening, and I don't have time to fix it right now, so I don't know what to do. A good learn- learning point from this whole situation, though... We recovered about halfway through the show and still played like we'd oh, had no problems. Oh, we killed problems. it. We killed it after that. It was still a lot of fun. Crowd had a great response after that. I mean, crowds are... A lot of people are like, I don't want to get heckled on I stage. I don't so want to get bad. I, I hate them. to single out like like locations, but I feel like that show, that specific Nashville show, was our best crowd we've ever had. I don't know. Parkway was really good. Parkway, Parkway was, was good. Most of them... No, I'm saying the best crowd is in most into. Oh, the reaction. The, the Parkway crowd. show. We everybody did get a was lot like, of people hurt during our set, which I guess if you're an extreme metal band, that's kind of what you the, the Parkway for. I don't know. <laughs> the <laughs> Parkway show was weird because everybody was like, "Okay, all right, where's Parkway?" That's because everybody at the Parkway show was like above the age of thirty almost, except for like a little Dude, niche crowd. The first like five seconds walking on stage. Everyone oh, was cheering. There's nothing. That's the first time that happened for us. And that I've was had such dreams about that. We don't. Des- we didn't deserve that. And no, let me tell you guys. No, we did not. Before we got on stage, we were so nervous. Oh, let me tell the story. I have a weird memory. I remember things like photo. It's not like a photographic. It's like semi-photographic memory. So we're by the stage right now, and I'm okay. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. We're say like this. five minutes out. I'm just gonna go ahead and say this because it's it's uh it's just part of being in a big show is that we're all panicking oh yeah the the crowd is packed oh we, we still by got, far we still got two minutes left no so let's just go ahead and go no, out. okay no, no, so no, no, yeah no, no, no. we're five minutes hey, the guy comes out i don't even know what to call him we're never it's gonna be a long it, it, time i think it was him. rocket town sound guy. so he's like hey guys five minutes get ready and we're like oh no i didn't think about this uh, and so uh we're all directly side stage most people are like i guess backstage a little bit but we're right by side stage because we want to be good little boys. We the only right thing on between stage. us and the crowd is a little curtain. A little curtain. And the entire time it's like, all right, guys, three minutes, get ready. And we're like, do we do we go on stage now and get our instruments ready? Does he mean start exactly in three minutes or get on stage in three minutes? Do we need another sound check? Are all of our gear? What if our gear doesn't work? We get on stage. One what if minute, our set guys, list we got goes over two minutes? Yeah. We, it's a, and then he comes out. All right, guys, one minute, get ready to go on. And we're just like dripping with sweat but the second that we got on stage and the crowd started chanting we all sunk way into the that zone was it. yeah we all that sunk so far into the zone and we killed that show in my opinion some people were probably like wow that was the worst band i've ever heard in my life <laughs> but in our opinion we killed it oh we had a pretty good crowd reaction instrumentally wise that- I, feel, I feel like instrumentally wise i feel like it, now I, I say this not saying i i I say As this an instrumentalist that we always focus on like instruments. So. And I only I never listen to vocals. Yeah, I can't even really hear it because, like I said, as instrumentalists, we're always like, "How's the guitar?" Uh, has now the bass, take has that the and put a backing track in your ears. You can't hear anything. No, I don't so want to. I feel like just I can like look at you guys playing and be like, "Okay, this is pretty good show." <laughs> I felt like that was instrumentally wise our best show. Now, crowd response, I still stick with the... I, I really couldn't see show. the crowd during like that the show. The crowd was great. I will say that we have a couple of friends that like just support us so nicely and will throw down on the pen and everything. But I feel like the bigger the show... The less, at least if you're not, if you're like a local band opening up for a bigger show, the bigger the show, the less crowd response you're going to get. Definitely. People are just there to watch the headlining bands. It didn't help that there was a barrier about 12 feet out from the... Because this was a bigger show. It's hard to connect to a band that you don't listen to when it's... There's three rows of people that could have gotten into it that just missed it because they couldn't be there up at the beginning of the stage. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great show. It was good. I thought it was a great show. It was definitely... so much fun. It was not what we expected. The pit was huge. People were jumping. I thought it was good. You can't be prepared for that. We we thought it was just going to be like... It's just something you got to go through. Yeah, we didn't think every single person there to see Parkway Drive was going to be there to see oh, us. Oh, no. It's always, there's always like 60% of the crowd that shows up after the local bands were playing. Cause I, I get it, I guess. I don't, I don't agree with it. Because like I said earlier, go early, stay for all the bands if you're trying to make it. But like people are just there casually. We were the only band, or Parkway was the only band that was truly headlining that. 
There was another band that they brought with them that was pretty fresh on the scene. People were there to see Parkway, period. And there were three bands before that. And by the way, our boys in human condition, they were the ones that went on after us, and they destroyed it. They consistently are like one of the best, if not the best band in Nashville. So Definitely the heaviest. Oh yeah, sure. I am in love with Human Conditions music, and it was great to play a show with them. There are boys. It's and by the nice. way, they have a new album coming out. Soon. Yes, yes, they don't do. have a release date yet. I don't think. I think early next year is what they said. Head over to their Facebook page and check them out. We want to hopefully get our producer Cody Stewart is one of the roommates for the guitarist. We want to get him on on the on hopefully like the next Wolves Den, but like uh, we have a couple of people we want. Yeah, we'll see. Vote for me to come back more than once. Thank you. <laughs> Mikey, Mikey V for press. Our budget, um, uh, our budget can't <laughs> afford that. I can't take it when you, when you cuff the mic. I can't do it. So um, that we talked about some of the fears on stage. <laughs> what is some, one of your biggest fears uh, just being a musician as a career? Fear of failure. The fear of failure, for sure. Well, obviously, that's, I think that's everybody's going I feel like music. That's, that's such an umbrella term. Some and people, sometimes that stops people, people from playing oh music man, altogether. I can go on this for this for days because I've experienced this firsthand. Like, there's nothing worse than having a band fail on you because music is weird because you put all your heart, all your soul into it. You're joking with Mo- your guy buddies, most and of your money. Oh man, that's that's a <laughs> given. And then it just doesn't work. And then after that, you're like, do I regroup? Do I just quit? Do I just get a normal job like everyone else? Just well, be miserable until retirement. This kind of goes back to our last podcast. We were talking about when to. To call it quits for a band, it's hard to say because yeah, there are absolutely. bands that go, that don't. Steel Panther, for example, they're they're an older band, man, and yeah, they didn't make it until like semi semi recently. Like they haven't been around for too oh, long. Yeah, they're an '80s metal band in the millennial area. Yeah, so like it's hard to say. But when you're younger. Uh, and especially if you're like emotionally charged and everything, because we're all hormonal and especially awful. Especially when you're 15. Yes, 14, because 16. with when something doesn't work out, especially something that you're as emotionally invested as you are in that band, you just want to quit. And especially at that age, you have no idea what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And and the, I I don't know because like bands will release these like studio vlogs and all these things of them talking about when they were they were a, a local band back in the day because every band was a local band every single yeah. every single band was a local band back in the day and then one day they made it and then that's always in the back of your mind at least it was in the back of mind like going back to Event Sevenfold they were yeah prob- you, they were, you were awful like, I'm back just going to stick with this cuz yes. I feel like this this is the first step yeah because I feel like everybody no band works out on its first try like no musician at least yeah we talked about that we've kind of already talked about the first band you were in and you and Patty. I'm sorry to in. hear that because it was just a travesty. Yeah, it's it's pretty much the same story for everybody. But you need the learning experience of a failed band to appreciate the success of oh, a yeah. proper one. So I feel like I'm a I'm a firm believer that you have to suffer for your art. If you have nothing to connect with, then you can't emotionally connect to other people. So if you're distant, artistically, emotionally, mentally, it's not going to come through with your music well. I feel like music's there to kind of like connect with people in a way. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, definitely. We all, the entire human race loves music. Everybody has that one band they listen to. That e- they exactly. Even some grumpy old man has that one song or band mm-hmm. that he listens to because he's emotionally connected to that, whether that be nostalgia. He listened to that as a child. His dad showed him that. That's there. And every single one of those bands started off as a local band. So it's it's the fear of failure is there. It's the biggest fear there is. Ever. That goes for anything besides music. Like the whole, there's nothing to fear but fear itself thing. That's very true. Do you have any any other fears besides that one? Because I feel like that's probably a, a common fear between everybody as a musician. Deep water. Maybe something like your first like real interview or something like that. I was joking about the deep water thing. That's a real thing. I am terrified now, of deep ocean. Going but, back to... But like... But well, ahead. yeah. No, going back to my teacher, Jim... My biggest fear in that aspect is him being like, hey, you need to rethink your decisions. Because oh. Rascal Flats got their start, just like we did. So basically, he said you are shit. Not necessarily. <laughs> he just said that he never he never said anything. Was this when uh, you were getting out of music in school? I will say, and first and foremost, I know he's going to be listening. I mean, Jim, like, I love you, dude. But like, 
I know he was disappointed when when I left music school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's like a father like not pursuing something that they wanted their son to go. But to, what know? he but like what I wish what what he understand what he needs to understand is like I left music to pursue even greater music things like music school. Okay, it's great. You're oh man, I can talk about this all day because I'm very against music school for the most part. I'm not against it. I just think that it prepares students for the wrong things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I was I'm just gonna say. It. I think you learn the most from real life experience. Right. I think. Any, I think anywhere in the music industry, mm, not just being a musician. At least, at least where I studied music for three years they never once taught me how to get out in the real world and apply like what's important what's not important for example how would you handle a failed gig they don't teach you that in music school seriously no. they need to have a class where you set up for a show and, and fry your system how yeah you and like you have 30 seconds to fix this i agree okay so my view on music school is uh, I, I was in music school for a little bit but i was just like this is not a, an accurate representation of what i was getting in the music so I, as a musician, I know all my scales, all my modes. I can improv, whatever. That's what you do in music school, really. But when you're doing that kind of stuff, no, you're I learning. Don't think you should harp on all music school. No, I'm just my favorite guitarist. My favorite guitarist came from music schools. Yeah, but that is one in a million, you know. Yeah. For the rest of us normal people, that you know. Well, I mean, I think it all depends on the way you learn. For me, I learned from hands-on experience and stuff I, like I that. I feel like most people do. Or watching somebody do it. I'm Reading a textbook does absolutely nothing for me. The worst thing that I've ever done was, as far as music is concerned, is trying to learn too much from a book as opposed to learning how to make music. You can how learn, to incorporate that into you can something. Learn to, you can learn music forwards, backwards, upside down, Every single which way, but that will not teach you how to write a song. So basically, music school will give you tools, but you you might not know how to use them. It could be a double-edged sword. Learning you could how have to these use tools, them. and then all of a sudden, your career paths are teaching music yeah. or possibly a studio musician with yeah. everybody else that didn't become a teacher. So hey it's, man, it, that's a, it's that's good. A job. It yeah. is. Of course it is, but it's a very competitive job. Yeah. And then that's another thing that can set you up for failure, you know? It's just sometimes yeah. you need to appreciate. We talked music. about that on the last podcast with Patty and uh, yeah, Patty was a, city as a session drummer. Yes, it's important. very hard. Yes, it's important to realize that it's okay just to make music. Yeah, you know, you don't have to be pursuing a career choice. It can be a hobby too, and that's okay. And I feel like when you're going to school for it, they're teaching you the notes, they're teaching you what to make. It's they can teach you all day long, but that's not the details, how to make music. The details, people get too absorbed in, into the details. Yes, yeah. yes. It, you get so absorbed into it and following along you properly. Can't, you, you can't create. You it can't create creativity. You you can only be inspired And creativity to cannot, it cannot be taught. Yeah. You can learn every single scale, every single everything. You can learn to solo every single which, which way you possibly can, but you cannot teach somebody accurately how to make something worth listening to, you know? Yeah. You have to experience that. You have to let it travel through you. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you started a band before joining our band. Um, what, what are some? Yeah, what are some, some pros and cons in between starting in a band that's already got material written or starting from scratch? Okay, so I, I joined uh, this band, Tell the Wasm Home, um, about... A year and a half ago, I guess. About a, two, about a, I think it's about. It's getting close to. I joined in May, so about like almost two years. Almost two years. Coming up on two years. And when I joined the band, the EP that they had initially, Ghost, was already recorded. It was already out and had already been promoted and everything. We also so, had a couple of singles. Yeah, well. we had uh, Faults and Failures, and we had Landlord, and then Which I joined the band released. after that. And then. That was my first experience with joining an already sound structured band that was already doing something because I feel like so many people start, it's very easy to start a band because you can just, hey man, you want to be in my band? Yeah, sure. The band started right there. Whether but, you make it to a practice really. or not. Yes. Yeah. I've been in probably a hundred bands. I feel like that's how a lot of bands start off in an, it, writing. And your it never initial, progresses. Yeah. Yeah. Writing the initial album or first few songs is such a hard process. It's difficult because you run through so many things. You have to you have to worry about writing and while you're writing, you're like, 
wow, is this, this is great. Enough? I like this, but is this good enough to make yeah. a career out of it? Could I tour to support Are all this? these songs sound alike, sound similar? Yes. And then after that, you get into the money of it because music is just pouring money down a funnel yeah. for no reason at all. Just besides the fact that you're an artist and this is what you enjoy doing. Yeah. So after that, it's just like, as far as joining an already structured band is concerned, it's nice because everything's kind of done for you. Yeah. That, but the that's problem actually... arises when you're, it's time to record the next one. Yeah. Because I was not in the place that the person, I have no idea who it was. It was a collection of people from yeah. what I understand. We're, I'm not in the place that they were in. Like I said before, music is emotional. It's mental. Yeah. I'm, we have completely separate minds. I can't just go in and rewrite. And I the think last you can album. definitely tell uh, on the sounds of our last album. There's a complete division. The very first because one. I can't write like them. They yeah. can't write like me. It's completely a completely different. It's creativity. a complete separation. Yeah. Yes, and that's everybody because everybody creates a little bit differently than the person before them, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. It was a good album. It's just I can't write like that. So, and I'm not going to try to because then it's just an imitation, and it won't be as good. Yeah. No, I definitely respect that. My my first band, I actually, I was in college. This is when I was 18. Uh, my buddy needed a bass player. They were playing a show in like a week, and they needed a bass player. So I uh, went over to their house for their first practice, learned uh, like five songs, which should tell you how crappy the band was because I hadn't actually played bass for a band, but I learned That's the songs. That's how many I learned when I joined this band, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but I I hadn't played any guitar before this and I literally learned it and played a show with him in a week like it was it was kind of nice but I'm looking back at it it was some terrible awful music in the band oh yeah awful. that's important you can't just start off making good music I'm not even saying the music we make now is good it's probably garbage but you know we keep doing it anyway <laughs> because we enjoy it yeah but it's like everybody starts off with those consistently awful bands you know the ones the ones who are just starting off they're young kids actually when we first started tell the wolves i'm home me and john micah uh we got a we found a couple of people on facebook groups and uh writing the first couple songs is pretty rough man Some I, of the, I want you to tell anybody who happens to be listening what the original genre concept of this band was going to be. Because I remember, funny story, before That's this band was a thing, before this band was a thing, the vocalist who was recruiting the members that he's talking about right now yeah. messaged me on Facebook and said this, and I was like, I want nothing, nothing to, to do, do with, with this, this band. There's no possible way, and if you don't get detailed, I will, because I was like, <laughs> I'm reading this, and I'm like, oh my God. Off, off the top of my head, Two bands he wanted it to sound like were, or both of us. It wasn't just him. It was me too. Yeah, don't put him on the spotlight. I want you to suffer too. <laughs> what was me and Icy Stars? Oh, no. It gets way worse than oh. this. Oh, what? So, oh, I was hoping this would happen. <laughs> so, those were the two I wanted. So, to John Micah like. is one of my best friends now. That's another one of those people like I was talking about earlier. The people that I've met recently in my life are like family now. That's just how it happens. Uh -huh. And I'm probably 19 it was a good four years ago when this band started kind of forming from yeah. the ashes of your old band yeah yeah and uh he messaged me and i'm into like crazy technical proggy stuff all over the place how many notes can i fit into this song and he's like hey man i'm starting a band i really want it to be like uh skrillex meets attack attack and with like a little bit of uh, other oh, stuff. Yeah. and i'm like reading this like what what are you talking about? Because I'm looking back on it, that probably would be very marketable and a good decision. But like at the time, I'm just like, I don't know about this. There's no frets in I, I this. I think it would have turned out really bad. But it probably you never know. Once we, again, I don't think we would have. None of us had experience with like dubstep or anything. Like that's that. a completely separate instrument because yeah. I was a DJ for a little while and I was producing stuff. Patty yeah. was too. We were into electronic music. We still are. That we were. That's all we listened to today was yeah. electronic music. And I was producing. And that's a completely separate instrument that is by far more complicated than an actual physical instrument. Yeah. Because the amount of research and production and practice, there's practice involved, oh, definitely. Yeah. You need a proper ear, you need proper gear, everything like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, we had none of that. I think that would have been a terrible idea. I had a feeling you didn't have any of the gear, so I was like, even if this was good to go, I don't know if this is going to... Nah, we were practicing out yeah, of Yeah, come to garage. fruition. Yeah. No, um, uh, what was I gonna say? I was, well, I was about to ask. How hey, we Patty, doing? you just spoke into the microphone in the wrong way. Let the record show that Patty just spoke into the butt <laughs> of the microphone. I was about to ask, how are we doing on time? 
Oh, uh, not sure. I can't really tell that. I think, yeah, we're just over an hour. Well, I mean, you know, we all got stuff to do. Let's, you want to wrap it up? I don't know why you're looking at me. I'm I'm the guest here, kiddo. So, in closing, I think one of the most important lessons to take away from all of this is just, like, you have to be emotionally involved into what you're doing. Yeah, if you're not enjoying you doing it, there's no point in doing it anyway. And we, we touched on this last episode, like, <laughs> it's all about fun. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It really is. It's great to want to pursue a music career. That's fantastic. And and, like and, and everything we complain about, we still had fun doing it. Yeah, yeah, I had a blast on stage. I feel like there's a big division in, like, bands wanting to be professional musicians and then people being like, oh, you shouldn't do that. You should do it for fun. I feel like the worst possible outcome of trying to push it to the next level as a business is your band getting better. Because mm-hmm. you start to analyze things differently. Oh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with doing for that. Sure. Because otherwise, you're just practicing in your garage, and which is fine. That's how Nirvana was made. That's how Foo Fighters was made and everything. There's interviews about that. But it's okay to want to approach it from a business sense and add that into your collective conscience of Absolutely. music. It's, I think it's a big portion of it too. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. If you're actively trying to be a musician professionally, that's it's like 10% music, if that. I think our manager's meeting this past week showed us that. We never once oh, talked yeah. about music. It's nice because it's, uh, it's like having your dad there, and if you don't do your job, he's going to be like, whoa, I'm very disappointed in you, son, and you're just bawling at this point. So it's just like it's the same thing. Yeah, well, okay, so um, stay tuned for the next episode. We're going to hopefully get John Micah in on it. He's our vocalist. He's got a lot of insight into PR, uh, you know, stuff like getting your name out there. Songwriting uh, from a vocal standpoint. Yeah, I think, honestly, the only thing we're missing before we branch out is a vocalist perspective. Everybody we've talked to so far has just been an instrumentalist. And hey, Patty, he, you realize everybody is sitting at this table right, right at now. this table right now. I was like literally in the next room when you recorded the last one. I'm just like, oh, I want to be on one of these. So here yeah, we well, but like John is gonna have something that we've never thought. He's gonna immediately say something and be like, we've never thought of this. Yeah, I'm actually looking really forward to talking to him. He's uh, such an outgoing guy, and yeah, I think he'll, so he'll have some crazy stories. There so will be yeah. a uh, petition to sign to get me back on the show while John's there. <laughs> I want you we'll guys see to about hit up. that. We'll get we'll another microphone. And thank you guys for joining us today at the Wolves Den Podcast. You can reach us on Facebook.com/slash The Wolves Den Podcast.